I'd like to uh, stop and ask the Lord's blessing, and I'll tell you why after I pray. Father, we are grateful. We, uh, we are grateful that you're producing in us a soft heart, that you're producing in us a heart that is learning uh, slowly to trust you. We're grateful that you're very patient. We're grateful that you forgive and that you show grace. We're grateful that you're kind to us. We're grateful that you never give up. As Paul says, though we are faithless, you remain faithful. And we're very grateful for that as well. Lord, we continue to lift up our, our country and our government from all levels, to, from Washington, D.C., down to right here in Dillon. Just continue to give wisdom to our leadership to, uh, and bless our nation through our leadership by giving them wisdom. Thank you. In your son's name, amen. We're in a series, um, The Road to Victory, talking about some of the common problems that if we're not careful, we, we fall into a hole, we get sidetracked down a blind alley, things that are part of the Christian life that it's easy to forget about and overlook. So the way... The way pastors work, every pastor is a little bit different, but we have a similar process, is at the beginning of the week, we start thinking about Sunday, the things that we want to say, the verses that come to mind, but we've actually begun the journey long before. For example, right now, I'm already, I'm already reading and thinking and praying about Lent. Okay, that's like eight months away or seven months away, something like that. So we're, we're way down the road up here thinking and praying about what we want to talk about. And what do we think that would help you, you heard me say last week, just take a half step closer to the Lord. Just a half step. Hopefully you all were able to do that this week. Just take a short step. And, um, and so as we get nearer to Sunday, we, the week of that week, Sunday that we're going to talk, we begin the journey of, of whittling it down, focusing on what passage do I want to highlight, what theology do I want to bring out? What story do I want to use to illustrate it? Somewhere during that week, the Holy Spirit, it just kind of snaps into place. And you go, there it is. That's what I want to talk about. That didn't happen this week. <laughs> what are we talking about? Dependency. Okay? It's almost like the Holy Spirit said to me, you want to talk about dependency? Okay, have fun. <laughs> I ain't got nothing for you. Until you get up there. So it's like, never does it happen where I don't come in here with a game plan. And as I walked across the parking lot, it dawned on me, dependency is about the whole Bible. It's the story of the curse. You want to be like God, don't you? You want to be independent. And so the entire Bible is the story of God teaching us dependency. That's the first thing that clicked into place. So I walked around, came through here, and, uh, and just began to think about what are the challenges we face in being dependent? Because we do. Why do we have such a hard time trusting? Why do we have such a hard time handing ourselves over to someone else? It's part of our very core, the total depraved part, to want to be independent. We're masters at it. 
We are so good, especially as Americans. We lead the world, our nation, in independence. Don't we? We know exactly what it means to be strong, independent. So, I want to be independent in my wealth. Don't don't want to rely on any of you. I want to be independent in my medical decisions. I have control over what happens to me. In fact, I want to have independence in my end-of-life decisions. I'm going to make sure everything's written out so no one can tell me what's going to happen. I get to choose myself. Don't we do that? Isn't that kind of a core of American rugged individualism that we are independent? The problem is that's not what we were created for. That's the problem. Very famous verse at the end of John. Jesus is talking to Peter. Peter, you'll remember, just a couple days before, denied him three times, betrayed Jesus. And uh, so Jesus goes and finds him on the beach. Now, just before that happened, Jesus had said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. That's the language some of your translation use. But it's plural, to to sift all of you disciples as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you will minister to everyone when it's all over. So we know several things. Just like Job, Satan had to ask permission. Second thing is Jesus gave it to him. We learn from that. So when Jesus goes after Peter on the beach, after that devastating, devastating betrayal, Um, he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? The third time, Peter's response is a little different than the first two times. He kind of, I picture him just kind of bowing his head in shame, and he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. That is the truth. And the only way he knew how, he was able to say, yes, I love you. And that's all God expects. But then he goes one step further and gives them a piece of information which relates to dependency. He says, you know, Peter, when you were young, you used to walk about and go wherever you wanted to go. And you dressed yourself any way you wanted to dress. But when you were older, you're going to stretch out your arms and someone else is going to dress you and lead you to places you don't want to go. And then John tells us, he said that to indicate What type of death, the death by which Peter would glorify God? You see, all of our lives as Christians glorify the Lord. All of them. All of it. In death and in life. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Isaiah 42 and 43. Isaiah 42, he says to Israel, you are deaf and blind. You're idiots. That's the modern version. Okay? You're deaf and blind. And then Isaiah 43 says, I'm going to convene a courtroom and I'm going to call all the other gods. Let them bring their witnesses out. And if they can provide a witness, then we will say what they're saying is true. Of course, they couldn't provide a witness. So now I'm going to call my witnesses. Come on out, you deaf and blind people. You see, we tend to make witnessing is something that we say, but what true witnessing is We are bearing witness to the grace of God because we're deaf and blind. 
And it's not so much what we do for the Lord, it's what the Lord does for us. And so I can bear witness to you that God is gracious. He shouldn't be with me. But he is. I can bear witness to you that that is true. Because he has forgiven me, he's loved me. And so this is all wrapped up in that statement to Peter that uh, as you age, you're going to become more and more dependent. We as a culture have figured out the very finest, best ways we've ever seen to remove God from the equation. I don't need God for my final end-of-life decisions. I don't need God for my finances. I got plenty of money. I don't need you. If I get laid off, the big deal. I got enough money to cover it. Thanks for asking, right? But that's not really what we're created for. That's not it at all. We're created for dependency. The problem is, is that dependency is one of those very complex areas. If you, if you look at psychology and the way psychology assesses it, it's very complex because if you go too far one direction, you move into the realm of what psychologists refer to in psychiatrists as codependency, where you begin to find your identity in someone else. You begin to allow someone else to give you an identity. You begin to allow someone else to give you uh, the approval that you feel you need, and so you don't know how to function apart from that. To move in the other direction, though, is the opposite danger. The opposite danger, I don't need you. Yes, you do, actually. On the day I found out I had cancer, uh, boy, I really felt like I needed you. (laughs) I felt alone. I just needed... And many of you just loved me and surrounded me and prayed for me, and, and it was just so rewarding. One of the things we watch for as a staff and elders is we watch the Holy Spirit gently move through your midst. We never know from day to day who's going to need extra grace. We don't know. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to bond us together so that we need each other. The moment... God says, um, it's not good for the man to be alone. We just learned something very intriguing. We learned that God has so created us that he's not enough. We need others. And that's how he often reveals himself to us, is through each other. So when Don Wolf found out that he had bladder cancer, and we made the announcement A bunch of us just ran right to his side and said, we want to walk with you. We want to pray with you. We'll be with you in the hospital if we can. And many of you have experienced that. That's the Holy Spirit's movement through the group. Some of you have lost your job, and some of us want to run alongside and say, we want to help you. Right? Some of you have experienced that. That's the Holy Spirit's movement. We never know who has an extra need for grace, but it shifts from day to day. And that's the Holy Spirit's way of bringing about that dependency. You see, at the core of the idea of unity is dependency. I got asked on the retreat, why do we have 12 elders? We've worked for four and a half years to get us up to our constitutional limit of 12, and we're there. And I said, for me, it's real easy. When I look out at the congregation, I see a variety of backgrounds, I see Catholics, I see Baptists, I see Lutherans, I see Presbyterian, I see Church of Christ, I see a whole variety of backgrounds. The greatest gift we can give you is a group of elders who represent 
our congregation and their theological backgrounds because then we can model what unity looks like. Unity means we have freedom to be disunified. The moment God commands us to be unified, to preserve the unity of the Spirit, that means we have the freedom not to. That's called sin, by the way. And so when we unify and come together and we make that choice to live together for the kingdom of God, then it becomes a picture for everyone. And everyone's represented. That's what unity is all about. Unity assumes that we are different and we are in different places. Therefore, we begin to need each other and trust each other. So there's a, there's a passage in Scripture that actually helps us understand this tension. And it is a tension. It's in Galatians. It's one that you've... Galatians chapter 6. Many of you have read this before. As soon as I read it, you'll say, oh yeah, I've heard that. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Some of your translations say, watch yourself, or you may fall into the same predicament, into the same problem. And this is a restatement of what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Do not judge or you will be judged according to the same standard that you judge. One of the things when I find myself stepping into the life of a person in our church who's struggling with sin, one of the questions I ask myself on that journey is, what I'm about to say, is it gentle? First of all, here it is right here. And the standard that I'm about to apply, am I willing to have it reversed and applied to me? Because Jesus said that's what's going to happen. But then listen to the very next verse. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So if none of you have a burden, that means we can't fulfill the law of Christ. Think about that. If none of you has a burden, if you don't need to be loved, if you don't have a burden for us to help you with, there's no point in this verse. The assumption behind this verse is that some of you need extra grace. Some of you are struggling. That's what that means. But listen to what he says as he goes on. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Now, this is in the context of carrying each other's burdens. So you can almost translate it this way. If anyone thinks that they are truly independent, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Oh, wait a minute. What is it? Do we carry our own load or do we carry one another's burdens? Which one is it? It it presents a conundrum and it reveals to us one one of the intricacies and the complex areas of all of the Bible. There is a fine line between being independent and being responsible. And so what Galatians does, what Paul does, is he puts these two together and almost a handshake. They work together like this. Because if we, if we are independent, we carry our own load, and I don't need you, then I become more independent and I move toward isolation. By the way, on the elder retreat, we, made a, we talked about what are some of the challenges 
that our culture presents to us that makes it hard for us to be the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God on the earth, and isolation is one of those. As we move toward independence, we move toward isolation. But then as we move the other direction, carry one of those burdens, if we're not careful, we move toward entitlement. I lost my job. Pony up. Give me money. That's what you should do. Take care of me. Right? The Benevolence Committee and all of us in ministry are faced with that all the time. You're a church. You should help us. That's entitlement. So we're always walking between these two extremes in the kingdom of God. One is independence leading to isolation. I don't need you. And the other one is entitlement where you're expected to do everything for me. And so we create this fine balance right here with this passage in Galatians. And I am absolutely convinced have been for years, this is one of the greatest challenges in the Christian walk, is to know where that line is. It changes from culture to culture. Within culture, it changes. It changes from era to era. It changes from generation to generation. There's no formula on how to navigate that other than let's keep this in balance right here. That we care for one another, but yet you carry your own burdens. And we walk together. That creates a healthy dependence. So if you have a need and we come up to you and say, I don't need your help. No, thanks. You just robbed a bunch of us of the blessing of giving. And what did both Jesus and Paul say? It's more blessed to give than to receive. If you don't need it, then you just robbed us of a blessing. If on the other side, you demand it, oh, you have the opposite problem. So dependency is one of those very fine, challenging difficult decisions that has many layers to it because we don't want to become codependent and we don't want to be so independent that you're not necessary. Right? Keeping this balance is at the heart of dignity. If I don't need you, then I lose my dignity. And if I demand that you take care of everything, I lose my dignity. So Jesus actually provides us the clearest model of what it means to walk down that road and retain dignity and still living in dependence. It's an amazing thing to me that he would say to Peter, Satan's going to sift you as wheat, and I've prayed for you, that you will regroup everybody afterwards. That's what happens at Pentecost. Right after that, he goes to the garden to pray, and he says, Father, I don't, I don't want to go through this. Please. But I'll submit to your will. Whatever you think is right. That's dependence. Right after that, he's betrayed. Right after that, he's hanging on the cross. What's the last thing he says? Why did you forsake me? Where did you go? Some of you have heard the metaphor that I use to talk about the Christian life. I've shared it with some of my kids and all of that, the dance floor. Sometimes you get on the dance floor with the Lord and you're dancing and everything is just perfect. And you wonder, how in the world could I ever doubt? Other times you get on the dance floor and I'm running into him. Our knees are bumping each other. And I'm literally running into God. That's when he's saying, yeah, you're not going that way. That's called sin. Stop. <laughs> Turn around, go the other way. And sometimes I walk out on the floor and he's not there at all. I'm just alone. 
just alone. But the reality is, I can't see him, but he's over in the shadows just watching. Never am I really alone from the Lord. Why would he do that? Why would he leave me alone? Why would he abandon, that's what it felt like to Jesus, on the cross? To see how Jesus' faith would carry him through. Some of you have been there. Some of you have, have been in situations, and some of you may be there right now, where you have prayed to the Lord about something. You're in dire straits. God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. And he didn't show up. He's quiet. His voice can't be heard, and you can't see his presence. And there comes a point in time where you eventually just stop praying because you've kind of lost trust in the Lord. You know what I mean by that? You just get to the end and you begin to lose heart. He's actually there. He's actually standing in the shadows watching. He's watching your faith being tested. And I suspect um, that's challenging for him. He knows the outcome. He knows what's going to happen. But he's waiting. That's when your faith really begins to stretch in the hardest ways possible is when you don't see the Lord. You don't feel the Lord present. Others of you kind of have the opposite problem where you have sensed the Lord clearly and you're a little bit like Jonah. God says, go that way, and you go that way. Right? You've been there. Some of you maybe have been called or maybe the Lord's trying to get your attention to tell you to go to a third world country as a missionary. And you go, I could never do that. That's not me. No way. Or, even more rebellious, I'm not giving up this life. That's listening to the Lord. So you start at birth completely dependent. And you end at death completely dependent. In the middle you have a fake sense of independence. It's an illusion. Because, you know what? You would not even be here this second if God did not protect your life and grant you that life. That's what we learn from the story of Job and the story of Peter with Satan. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. And if God says, you have free reign, you're gone. So the fact that you sit here is an evidence of God's grace. You are dependent on him and you don't even realize it, at least to the degree. Dependency is a very, very complex area of Christian life. It's very complex. And it's very hard to learn it because the very core of our sin nature is to say, I want to be me. Or as Satan says, you get to be like God. I want to be like God. Have control over everything and to be independent. And the reality is you can't be. It's not possible. So dependency is that journey where you're learning day by day, hour by hour, how to trust the Lord. And the reality is your trust in others is directly dependent on your trust in the Lord. They go together. As you learn to trust the Lord for what's happening in your life, you learn to trust others and depend on them. You can't separate them. The people that are the most independent, I can do it my way, are typically the ones with the shallowest faith. Because they go hand in hand. 
And so God's greatest gift that he can give you is to put you in a position where you have to trust someone else because then you learn what it means to trust him. It's just like forgiveness. The greatest gift they can give you is to put you in a position where you have to forgive someone else because then you learn how hard it was for him to forgive you. Dependency is no different. That's the entire Bible. That's the story of the Bible. Is navigating through the complexities of, of a world that's owned by Satan, a victory won by Christ, with a fallen nature. That's hard to do. So maybe God, and I'm going to ask you in just a minute when we do communion, I'm going to ask you what's the area where you need to uh, entrust yourself, that's dependency, to someone else or to God. Begin thinking about it. What's that area where you need to entrust yourself to God where you're just resisting? What is that area? Every one of us has one. It could be a big area. And I'll admit to you, it's not always comfortable entrusting yourself to God. Ezekiel, lay on your side 360 days. I'm so thankful he hasn't called me to do that. Jeremiah, go back into the leadership of Jerusalem. Tell them they're in sin. And they're about to have their land taken away. And by the way, you're going to be deported with them. Jonah, go to Nineveh, the heart of the Assyrian Empire, and rebuke them, your enemy. Praise God, he doesn't usually ask us to do that level. I'm giving you the worst case. Okay? So where do you need to entrust yourself to God? After the first service, I had somebody come up to me and say, I just lost my job. Tears. I need to entrust myself to God. I had another person come up and say, I just lost my job and I have to move away and I don't want to move away. Tears. I have to entrust myself to God hard but the end result is the deepest joy you'll ever find because he is God so the real question I want to leave you with this the real question that you have to wrestle with is do you actually believe no matter what is happening from the world's perspective that God is always going to make it good in your life Romans 8 that's the real question do you really believe it do you really believe he's going to turn it into good, whatever it is? If you don't believe that, you're not going to depend on him. You're always going to resist. But if you really believe it, then you'll take that next step and say, with tenderness, with a little fear, a little trepidation, okay, God, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. Father, thank you. Thank you for being kind to us. Thank you for being gentle with us, for caring about us, for recognizing that this is very difficult for us to do. And thank you for being very patient and walking with us as we learn how. Help us to learn to trust you and to really be dependent. Trust you for your goodness. In your son's name, amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come take the offering. Uh, by the way, the donations is one of those places where we have to trust God. 
right? Isn't it hard to let go of money that you've earned? It's hard, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you for being generous.